Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow underway. Sixth and Peabody, our location across the Outkick Network is where you can find us. YouTube. And at Outkick.com. We hope you'll subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Join Chad in the chat throughout today's show. Big show plan. Eric Reed's the play-by-play voice of the Miami Heat. He joins us in about 45 minutes as we will uh, tip things off between the, the Heat and the Celtics. That's coming up tomorrow night. We've got Lakers and Nuggets tonight in the conference finals to get things going. John McClain talks all things NFL with us every Tuesday in hour number two. Plus Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling Baseball Show, available for you today and on Fridays, Tuesdays, Fridays, outkick.com. Kurt joins us today in the final hour. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Watch us on YouTube. You can comment there, chat with us, and we may even put your comment on the screen at some point. So keep that in mind. I hesitate to say that. Get after it, Penelope. Based on some of the things that's going to happen here, but uh, <laughs> I see a Caden in here already, a John... Maybe Penelope gets in the mix also. I'm sure. I'm sure Penny will. Best comments, best questions. You may appear on the show. Talk number one quarterback in the country for high school that's headed to the Georgia Bulldogs uh, coming up in this hour. But first, uh, the best television last night happened with the Yankees and the Blue Jays, where Aaron Judge does Aaron Judge things. It's two homers. It's a bomb on a 3-2 count late in the game in the eighth. And you've got... A situation where the Blue Jays broadcast, which is on Sportsnet, this is not just the the Homer Network. It is on the broadcast network for all things sports in Canada. It's not on the local Bally Sports package. I, no, I wouldn't refer to it as that. And and or the broadcast crew led by Dan Schulman, who picked up on Judge looking at the dugout. All right, Buck, so you and I looked at each other at the same moment right when we saw this three pitches ago. Watch what he's looking at. What is that? Where is he looking? Where is he looking? And he did it more than once. Yeah, Yeah. it's really, really unusual. But you and I both looked at each other when we saw that. Like, did you see what I saw? And you don't want to go, you know, throwing allegations around without knowing, but... Now, I have had guys look back when I was catching, and you obviously could see it, and he he couldn't see the catcher with the way he was looking right there. Yeah, just did it again. He hit a country mile for his second home run of the night. Man, once again, he's looking at something. Then the next move is that powerful swing, and he blasts one to center field. I've not seen that before with him. That's a great job by the broadcast team for Toronto because, again, it's a blowout game, but they're noticing that Judge is looking off to the side right before the pitch. And Chad... As they're describing what they've seen, they're like, hey, we don't we don't really know what's going on here. Oh, he just did it again. And then there's a 3-2 pitch right down the heart of the plate. Bomb. And it's gone for his second homer of the game. It was great social media last night and TV as you're trying to decipher what happened. Of course, Judge gets back to the 
to the clubhouse and has to answer questions about it. And here's what Aaron Judge says he was doing as he's peeking at the Yankees dugout. Yeah, it was kind of a lot of chirping from our our dugout, which I really didn't like in the situation where it's a six nothing game and I know Booney got tossed. Like I was trying to save Booney by calling timeout. Like, hey, hold up here. Like, let me let me work here. So I was kind of trying to see who was who was chirping in the dugout. So it's six nothing. Like, let's Booney got tossed. Let's let's go to work now. Teammates, kind of checking on your Yankees teammates. Yeah, I'm kind of looking like who's who's still talking here. It's, it's six nothing, and our manager got tossed. He did his job. Like, let's go back to playing ball. Judge handled that perfectly. Post game, Chad. Uh, your thoughts on Judge peeking at the dugout and really talking to the dugout and looking at the, the in the same direction while he's on deck about to take the play. So knee jerk reaction. When you sent us that video last night, Hutton, my first response was, wow. And I'm immediately thinking, oh my, the team that got cheated against by the Astros that have bitched and moaned ever since about the Houston Astros cheating with electronic signals being sent. Right. They've got some dude in the dugout that is watching what's going on or getting signals on pitch comms or something and is signaling their star captain now. Aaron Judge, and telling him what pitches are coming, and we just caught Aaron Judge looking over to the dugout. Now, that was my knee-jerk reaction. When I started thinking about it, I said, well, if he's been doing this, he didn't start on May 15th in the eighth <laughs> inning against Toronto. There's got to the be road. There's got to be some other video footage of him <laughs> looking over the dugout, peeking over something that's now going to surface because – the internet does crazy things. Once one thing's out there, all the little internet sleuths mm-hmm. get to work, and they're going to show him doing that over and over again. That didn't happen. Then I heard that reaction and his explanation, and I buy it. I think it's a very likely scenario that with what was going on with Aaron Boone getting ejected, he's hearing chirping. I mean, hey, captain, you never stop captaining. Never start, stop leading. <laughs> Even when you're at bat, you're looking over the dugout thinking, what in the hell is going on with my guy still talking? And he was distracted by something, and he's looking over doing that. This shot of him is great with his eyes looking over the dugout. So I went from the Yankees are cheating the same way the Astros were after complaining about it for so long. Oh, this is so juicy. I can't wait to break this down to – Within about an hour and a half saying, yeah, he was probably just looking in the dugout because someone was chirping at the umpire because his manager had just been ejected and this was going on all night. So my verdict, he's not a cheater. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was telling the truth when he said, I'm looking to the dugout simply because there's a lot of chirping happening after our guy got ejected. Oh, I, so I don't think he's doing anything nefarious because I don't think sign-stealing is cheating unless you're doing it, you know, by stealing signs electronically or you're doing it the way the Astros were caught doing it where you're on a monitor in the back and then you're banging the trash can drum to alert certain things that are going on for your hitters. Yeah, it's it's but it's, it's not, one of those Hutton that's in baseball it's frowned upon, but it's not illegal if you can naturally pick yeah. up on signs. So you do it. It's one of two things. It's not what he's saying about chirping. Dugouts chirp all the time and I don't see hitters doing this. So, you know, you're talking about managers yelling at calls. He's looking over prior to the pitch 
where, where Aaron Boo gets thrown. This isn't him noticing and hearing the chirping after Boone gets tossed. Boone gets tossed on a terrible strike that was called by the umpire. And Judge holds his hand up. He says he's holding like time. He's trying to call time to like get things situated. But really what he's telling, I think he's telling Boone to stay in the dugout because they've got this guy on the mound. They know. And if you really dissect it the way John Boy does, you can go back and see while he's on deck prior to even going to the plate, he's looking in there asking about certain pitch locations. Kurt Schilling will join us later in the show. I know Kurt is going to uh, say most likely he's peeking, trying to use peripheral vision to see where the catcher's set up. But I haven't seen it dissected like this with Aaron Judge, and I think it's pretty clear they knew what pitches this guy was coming with, and even on the pitches that he took that should have been a ball, Boone is getting tossed, and Judge, meanwhile, is waiting on that 3-2 pitch because he had things figured out, and that's why he didn't want Boone coming out of the dugout. Either way, um, the headline of cheater is you know, absurd here, but at the same time, he's also just not reacting to chirping in the dugout because once he looks over there once, he could also call time once and make sure that everything pipes down if he really wanted to focus in and laser focus in on what was happening on the mound. It made for great TV. Oh, it was great. Either way, good job by the Blue Jays broadcast team for pointing that out. It made for great TV. My initial reaction way different than when I thought it through and heard his, uh, heard his explanation of what went down. But either way, it was terrific. I think it was Gary Carter, the old catcher, who if he caught guys peeking back, trying to see signals, yeah. He would say, if you look back here again, the next one's coming in your temple. That's going to be the signal I'm going to give him. If he saw someone doing that enough, what you're talking about with what we'll ask with Kurt is more of you're trying to glance back to see positioning of the catcher. Now with pitch comps, you're not looking back to see, oh, is it a fastball? Is it a yeah. curveball? Is it a slider? You're looking to see where the catcher's setting up. Yeah. Uh, and again, Chad and I agree here. Nothing, nothing crazy, nothing nefarious, no investigation, at least as I see it here. But I also don't think it's just like, oh, who's over there talking in the dugout? Because that's always happening between the manager and the umpire, no matter who's at the plate. Yeah, I, I believe him. Maybe I'm naive, but I, I, can, I fully believe Aaron Judge and he's his He's also glancing right before the pitch is thrown, not like while he's getting set. He's getting set in the batter's box, and while that would be where chirping was happening right after the previous pitch, he's not looking over there yet. He's waiting to see exactly where the setup is. For whatever reason, he, he's looking the same direction every time. And, I mean, if he doesn't hit the homer, we're probably not talking well, about the same it's, way. It, the uh, first video I watched, it, it looks so timed. Where he's like, right before the guy's about to go into his delivery, he's looking over quick and then right back. But with the explanation, I'm thinking, okay, well, that would also explain that. Were you something... Look, if, some, if someone in the studio right now, if Matt stands up and moves that chair really loud, I could supposed to be looking right at the camera right now. And if he does that, I can't help myself but to move my eyes to see what's going on and move back. So I do think that he could hear something and quickly glance over while still focused, and say, what is going on over there, and then lock back into the pitcher. It's all very plausible to me. Look, I'd love for it to be not plausible. I'd love for them to have some sort of electronic I, device to talk about <laughs> where they're cheating and doing the exact same thing they accuse the Astros of doing. But I, I believe Aaron Judge in this one. 
He's also telling Boone not to come out of the dugout. Yeah. It was 6 nothing. I do think score should count in things. Uh, you, you, the score well, that homer can dictate. If you're too. down 6 nothing and you feel like you've gotten a raw deal all night from sure. the umpire, then by all means, get tossed if you want to. Up 6 nothing in the 8th seems like a weird time to do that. Aaron Judge also had mentioned that both teams were really all in on the umpire, so he knew – Someone was probably about oh, to get it, tossed it when was that was going on. It was a terrible call, too, that yeah. Boone came out and, and immediately argued. Chad, the NFL is going to have football on 10 separate media platforms this season. And while I don't think you can water down the NFL right now, I do think you can water down how we will find the product across all these different platforms throughout the season. So to recap where we are now, Peacock, through NBC, is going to pay $110 million for a playoff game. And it will be exclusive to Peacock. It will also, this is just the streaming service, not on NBC. It's going to be the wild card round of the NFL postseason. And also consider it's the same setup as Thursday Night Football for this year, where if you are uh, uh, in, in the market of one of the teams playing, it will be available to you without having to subscribe to the service. It will be on one of the local networks there. But just to recap here, the NFL is going to broadcast games this season on CBS, Fox, NBC, ESPN, ABC, Amazon, NFL Network, ESPN Plus, Peacock, and then Sunday Ticket is now so also on YouTube TV. And while you know, I don't hear the same jokes that are being told every single year about here is where you find true TV in the month of March because football fans generally find the product. Ratings did take a huge dip compared to what, and when I say huge dip, there are networks that would kill for 10 million viewers on a Thursday night that we were seeing from Amazon Prime and their streaming services. So don't get me wrong, that's a huge number, but it's down by like 8 million per week based on the move from Fox to Amazon on Thursday night football. And I do think you'll see the dip there and people will gravitate towards, oh, you just can't find it. I think this is the NFL agreeing to take a boatload of money where Amazon, for instance, even though numbers were down, they're paying extra. They came back to the NFL after paying a billion dollars and said, hey, can we play, can we pay you more for the exclusive rights to a Black Friday game every year. Now you have NBC, the exclusive rights holder of Sunday Night Football. They are able to now come back to the NFL and say, hey, we want a playoff game on Peacock, and it's going to be streaming only. That's fine, and it will take some time. But Chad, I, while I don't think you can water down the football product, I think for a while we will be watered down on how to find these games and reminding people on where they are if they want to find it, at least for a year or two before everyone figures out whatever bundle or package they're going to end up with streaming-wise. Because if you're one who's cut the cord, well, I mean, you, you figured out a way to find the NFL. And for the most part, we always will. But in this case... I'm really intrigued to see how far they'll go on different streaming platforms because right now they're at 10 and climbing and you're still getting $110 million from Peacock. And put this into perspective, the Atlanta Braves and the St. Louis Cardinals for their entire season 
receive $35 million less than what Peacock is paying the NFL for one game in the postseason that is that's likely going to be Jacksonville, Tennessee, or Indianapolis against the Las Vegas Raiders, where the Raiders are playing on the road against a seven- or eight-win divisional winner. That's mind-blowing. One game. And Peacock has to be one of the least viewed streamers that are out there. So I know this is an attempt to help them with their subscription uh, numbers. They do own The Office and they do own Yellowstone for the first well, four seasons. Well, NBC's catalog for the most part. They've got all of it. Um, if you wanted to watch old SNL episodes from any year, by the way, you go to you know Peacock and watch it. So last year, Sunday Night Football on NBC, a 30-second spot average uh, cost was $828,000 for a company to have a 30-second spot during the game. I don't know what number of 30-second spots air during a playoff game, but you're clearly not going to get close to recouping your $110 million based on that purchase, the NFL. So let's say that it's, I don't know, $40 million based on that, and I don't think it's going to be that much, that many spots you'd get into a game, but that you're going to make. Companies are willing to spend 50 to $60 million for one game that they're not going to get back. That's on top of what they're, not, what they're getting back mm-hmm. in advertising revenue just to promote Peacock and have that promotional arm for an NFL playoff game. Their business model is top-notch. We got into this last week with the schedule release and how they can create a national sports holiday based on showing the – the schedule of games we already know are going to take place, but now we know the sequence in which they will happen, and it becomes a, a, a huge story that the NFL can sell. They can sell anything. And this is yet another example. They're selling Peacock, which is probably one of the worst streamers out there in terms of subscriptions, and they can sell that, and $110 million they're getting back for one game. It's remarkable. And if this is the, the premier spot for the NFL where you end up having the, the, the playoff games and instead of putting them just on ESPN, you know, it was always that Saturday afternoon ESPN game on Saturday that was going to be the worst playoff matchup, right? Yep. Where you had two backups, for instance, playing. The old 3 or 4 p.m., yep. whatever kickoff time it was. Yeah. And that now the indication is the, the streaming only is where. But the networks are trying to go ahead and prime people to, if you're not already there, to find our products, go there. And, and on Sunday night football and different things, you can find different camera angles. On Peacock, you can find the WWE. There are different ways uh, that they can really suck you in once you do the free trial, if that's what they're trying to do. But in this case, they're trying to get you to subscribe and keep it based on the NFL being a part of whatever package this is. Hit us up with your thoughts. I'll kick on the chat in YouTube. You can also now blame the NFL for all the questions you're going to get from your parents about where to find the NFL playoff game. Because we're all going to be receiving those texts and calls. Is this game not on NBC? Where's Maybe this game? So. Where's this first playoff game at? What's I don't crazy, know where to find it. I didn't hear a lot of that, though, for Thursday Night Football last year. Oh, I did from my parents. That's what I'm saying. It's going to be a lot of uh, the older generation. Are they going to ask it saying, again this year? Where's this game? How can we do it? Do we have that? But that's, my, that's what I'm saying. That's like, what my, my parents like to ask the question, every, Hutton, do we have that one? Because <laughs> I've signed them up for the things that they want, and I said, yep. So will go they ask to it again your smart this year? TV function and then go find Prime Video on Thursday night, and it'll pop right there on your screen. You can just click OK, and you can watch it. Because the true TV question comes up every single March. 
Yeah, it's yeah, become a your, running joke. Here's your guide to find True TV for the NCAA Look, I, I'm mostly joking, but there are going to be some more sure. technologically uh, less inclined people that are going to have a hard time finding this game on Peacock. And we're all going to hear from them. If you know those, that guess. person, they're going to ask you, where is this NFL playoff game? <laughs> and it's on an app. It's on a streaming service. It's on a platform that it's on a platform. likely going to download. The platform is digital. The platform is not on linear hey, television. But, hey, but it my is parents, a platform, though. My parents took forever to move over to anything but a flip phone. Forever. They're on a farm. They've got YouTube TV. Never thought I'd see that. The flip phone is actually very functional on the farm. I know this with farmers yeah, and the family. My mom says so, too. They don't like the, uh, being, the possibility of breaking the screen, and the touch screen doesn't work as well. If you're creating a product that they want, and you can, they can watch their shows on that platform, too, maybe that's where, where Peacock comes down. Hey, we've got all the old shows that your parents want. I, I, <laughs> you want Law & Order? We've got you. I mean, if you can convince... You want Dateline? We've got you. If, if you work in a business where you can convince major media, all of them, the NFL now has all of the major media companies that carry their product to just overspend to the level that they know they're going to lose a ton of money, <laughs> but they don't even care because they want the hottest girl to take to the prom and you are that hot girl. That is an amazing position of power to be in if you're the NFL. None of these companies are making all the money back they spend on rights fees to the NFL. None of them. Yet they justify it because they can say, well, we have the NFL and we can show you all these numbers that may or may not matter that show you where the NFL points our viewers to all these other streaming apps and shows and everything else. But the only winner in all this, well, I guess two, the NFL and the fans. Because we get to see them now, you get to see them everywhere. But it is an amazing business model that they have right now going with the NFL where everyone just spins and loses, and it doesn't matter to them. The top quarterback in the country for 2024 lands with the Georgia Bulldogs. There was a big recruitment process involved with this, and it starts really legitimately started with one person worth mentioning. We'll do that coming up. Plus, Nebraska fans, based on this recommitment and re-signing, uh, well... They're having a meltdown. The reason I use the prom analogy, Hutton, when I talked about the NFL, we'll get into oh, it. That's next. Yes, that's next on Hot Mike. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Glad you're with us. Sixth of the Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hope you're having a good Tuesday. John McClain will join us coming up in about 40 minutes or so. Eric Reed, he is the Miami Heat TV play-by-play -play broadcaster. He joins us in about 15 minutes. Discuss the uh, Heat and Celtics, but more importantly, playoff Jimmy. Jimmy Butler. That's a thing. Dude goes off He's when the postseason rolls around. One of the best. Chad, the top quarterback in America for the class of 2024, Dylan Rayola. 
He's headed to Georgia. And, well, he has a lineage to Nebraska. Nebraska fans are, well, losing their minds a bit. They are indeed. Um, hilarious uh, Twitter follow called Message Board Geniuses that I go to a lot that um, post some of the best from the internet. And this latest one that we're going to show you right now is terrific. This was in the this was in lieu of Rayola committing to Georgia and not Nebraska. And a poster on the Husker Online site says the following. We are a fat kid with acne and glasses that got to hang out with the head cheerleader because her dad knew our dad. Granted, we are hitting the gym, getting contacts and using Clearasil, <laughs> but she's going to prom with the all-star quarterback. Maybe our makeover will be further along by the time her cute little sister finishes developing. This is the thought of one Nebraska message board poster after Dylan Rayola, Nebraska legacy, possible homecoming for him with his dad being a big – both of his dads, both of his dads, his dad and his uncle both playing there. <laughs> I know what you meant. Yeah. This isn't a Leah Thomas lead-in, I promise. <laughs> um, one dad, one uncle, both went to Nebraska – Spurns Nebraska to go to Georgia, and Nebraska fans but are the, not taking it well. I, they're taking it worse than Ohio State, where he was originally going. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so everyone raves By about the way, this that guy. By the way, that is the apt description. Like, I laugh at that, but that's actually really well said. That, that oh. is Nebraska right now. Nebraska in the 80s and 90s, 70s, you go back a bunch of years, they were the epitome of college football and toughness. And it was a cool place to go for a lot of players. And they were always on the national game of the week. And you could see them all the time. And that brand was so strong. And years and years of mediocrity to recently futility has turned Nebraska into the fat kid that only gets to hang out with the hot girl because the dad dated the cheerleader back in the day. And they're trying to get back to being Nebraska again now under Matt Rule. But... This is a good reminder. It's not going to happen overnight. And their brand's not going to turn overnight to where the nation's number one quarterback, even if it is the son of a Husker legend, is not going to commit to your school based on where they are right now and where Georgia is right now as a program. And the quarterback future for the SEC includes, of course, you've got Rayola, but also Manning who enters the SEC soon through Texas, Arch Manning, and uh, Nico as well. The top, Some of the top quarterback recruits in the country headed to the Southeastern Conference. No surprise, and there are others, by the way. Um, and you've got Rayola, who said that it was Chandler LaCroix who was killed in the, the car accident back in January. She was the staff member uh, who tragically died in the, the car accident that also claimed the life of Georgia lineman Devin Willock. And she was the staff member driving the vehicle that was speeding and had three other people in the car, and it was her and Willock who tragically passed away. And Rayola says, quote, this is through um, his reflection on why he chose Georgia ultimately and his first interaction with Chandler LaCroix. Chandler was there for my first ever visit in camp, June 2nd, 2021. That was my first camp visit, everything. She was my host. You know, I'm a big believer, and I think God set that up perfectly for her to be my host in this recruiting world. We built a great relationship. She was always smiling. 
When you were around her, you were touched by her smile. She had such a tender heart, and she loved her Georgia football. I used to call her during the games, during the national championship game. That from Dylan Rayola. And he even reached out to the family after he's flipped his commitment from Ohio State to Georgia to tell that story. Yeah, he, he, so he decommitted from Ohio State, I think, December 17th. And then two weeks later, it was Ohio State versus Georgia yep. in that game. And uh, he talked about calling her during the game. Um, it, it, it's interesting to hear that. I, I would think that most people would be thinking twice right now about Georgia based on Chandler LaCroix's death and some of the things going on around the Georgia football team. So it's just an interesting little tidbit here to me that uh, they just landed the nation's number one quarterback in part because the tragic passing of of Chandler LaCroix, where we keep asking the question, is this going to affect Georgia in any way negatively? Not that I'm searching for that or anything in the light of a, a horrible tragedy, but you know, you got the news now that Stetson Bennett didn't graduate from Georgia after seven years in school. I, I, there are some questions about this Georgia program. I, I don't know that if I were a parent, I, I would want my son necessarily saying, well, I'm going there because this woman died in a car accident where the school is now being sued because of the illegal street racing that was going on on campus. Right. And now there's all these other questions about Georgia football, and you've got all these guys, you got multiple guys getting arrested right now at Georgia. I get the, you know, there's a standard set there, and there's a cult. Well, yeah, the standard is they've won the last two national championships. So there's certainly a standard of talent, work on the football field and winning. And that's Kirby Smart. But you know? I mean I, I would if I'm a top player in the country, I, I'm I'm taking a long look at that program and asking a lot of questions. If I'm a parent of a recruit that's getting recruited by Jordan, I'm not saying I'm I'm ruling them out or anything right now, but I'm asking a lot of questions about what's going on. Yeah Georgia was always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And now and they are Kirby the bride. Smart's there and they are crushing it. And I'm with you, Chad. Like At some point, you do have to start to ask the questions about does it affect the overall program, but Charles Barkley's not saying that. He's saying you're not looking at Kirby Smart or the, the coaching staff when things like this happen, like they did this past January with the street racing, with Chandler LaCroix, one of the staffers, behind the wheel of a car that was uh, through a loan, through a lease of the University of Georgia from a different car dealership and all of the the players involved, one who which lost his life. Um, Charles Barkley recently joined Paul Feinbaum and had this to say in reaction. Because I get so mad when idiots and fools like myself on television try to play God, like what well, a coach got to do this. I'm like, yo, man, the coach is not a babysitter. When you leave the coach, like, yeah, if you get in trouble, when you're with the coach, that's a totally different animal. But once these kids go home, or you know they're not at practice, or like you have no control over what they do. So I don't blame the coaches. That's from uh, from Barkley with Paul Feinbaum, and he's not wrong. I mean, once you leave the you know the facility for the most part, you know you've got situations where guys lie, right? If you're out and about and you doing things that you shouldn't be doing, or if you're staying out past curfew, whatever. But in this case, this did. LaCroix was a staff member on the Georgia staff. 
And here's where I think that the next discussion point comes in on what Barkley's pointing to. If this, and it did happen, but if it happened anywhere, Chad, what would be the discussion point behind closed doors the next day for any program? Whenever you see the story at Georgia is, Hey, we cannot have that happen here. Yeah. Right? It, it, it this is, is a, a, this is a big beacon. It has to be blaring out to every other coach to have this conversation with their teams about, Hey, is this a thing? Are you guys racing cars that you've been given in NIL deals? Well, we're going to not ever do that here. And we've got to cut that out immediately based on this tragedy. Yeah, and, I, and no one expects coaches to know everything their players no, they, are doing and, at all times. They're always terrified about the 2 a.m. Yeah, and call. I'm not, I'm not, no one's blaming. I think Charles Barkley has it a little bit twisted, at least in my opinion. I don't know that a ton of people are blaming the coach specifically and saying, it's as if you did this. Right. You killed this girl because you brought this guy on campus and it's your fault. No one is is that crazy but they're also to dis- say that. But they're also discussing but here's, the lawsuit there, which well, here's is a $40 what I am looking lawsuit. at is how do they handle it? Right. Now, I don't know if there's any validity to this lawsuit or not, but if the claim is that Kirby Smart knew this was going on or fostered any type of environment that led to these things happening or willfully turned a blind eye on bad activity that eventually led to someone's death, then yeah, the university is liable for that. Another example is Nate Oates. Charles Barkley went mm. to Auburn. He knows this story. I don't blame Nate Oates. When I saw the murder happen, I didn't say Nate Oates pulled the trigger. He did this. You know what I blame Nate Oates? For being awful in the press conference and saying wrong place, wrong time. For not doing a damn thing to Brandon Miller. That is on Nate Oates. And that is a cultural program problem. And when you bring in a guy from Wichita State, oh, well, but must be a big coincidence. He's riding around with guns in Tuscaloosa. wonder why he felt comfortable in the Alabama program when he took his visit there and decided Alabama over all these other schools. So, yeah, that is the coach's fault. I'm not – I don't agree with Charles Barkley that there's never a reason to blame the coach. Coach fosters environment. Guys are going to come in. Young people are going to do stupid things. That's not always on the coach. But if you behave after the fact in a way that condones it because that player's really talented, right. then don't be surprised when other talented problems – come your way, and they break the law. That's where the coach has a problem, and that's where the coach is to blame. Yeah, and well said. And, and Barkley's not wrong either in saying, like, hey, at 1 a.m., you get behind the wheel and you're doing all this, and Kirby Smart's, you know, at home asleep getting a phone call after an accident like this. That's not on him. Yeah. You know, but there were adults present, and some did act like it, some didn't. And some chose to raise, some didn't, you know, and that that's where it doesn't come back on the program, but you don't want the litany of just different examples of this piling up because then it becomes a program perception. And in many ways, perception is reality. I think where Barkley is right is this. We do need to look at the people who actually did the bad thing yeah, right. and criticize them. We've gotten too far away from or too down the rabbit hole of this. Well, you can't blame the college kids. You can't blame the college athlete. The college athlete is always right, and the big bad coach in university is always wrong, and the NCAA, I, I call it the Jay Billis complex. It's always the NCAA and the coach and the university's fault and the you know pitiful little college, college athlete can do no wrong and never point the finger at them and blame the little college athlete. Well, I'm here to tell you, 
You start taking NIL checks and making a ton of money, I will criticize you the same as an NFL quarterback. You are a professional athlete. You have opened the door to all criticism. You do dumb bleep late at night, we're going to come on this show and crush you. You throw two picks in a game against a rival, we're going to come out here and call you by name and call you an idiot because you are basically professional athletes at this point. And Hunter Dickinson proved that to us yesterday, saying that he was courageous to take the money and go to Kansas, to take the bag and GTFO from Michigan. So, all right, great. Can't wait to criticize you next year just like a pro athlete. That is the contract you signed. And, and chose to stay in college instead of turning pro to take the bag at Kansas. That's the other thing. A part of it. He could have just gone pro yeah. and, and didn't. Chad, coming up, speaking of pros. Not good enough. Uh, a guy who's not going to just lay down and allow people to just criticize him is Jimmy Butler. Playoff Jimmy is a, it's a thing. Even if Jimmy Butler doesn't want to admit it. Eric Reed's the play-by-play voice of the Miami Heat. We discuss that next on Hot Mike. Lakers and Nuggets tonight. Then tomorrow, Eastern Conference Finals. We've got the Heat and Celtics. And the television voice of the Miami Heat, Eric Reed, joins us on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Eric, thank you for the time. And uh, playoff Jimmy's real, man. I, don't, I know Jimmy Butler doesn't like to uh, dive into it all that much. He kind of laughs it off. But what, what a run he has carried this team on. And it's not just this year. First of all, nice to be on with you guys. This is the fourth year Jimmy Butler's been with the Heat. It's the third time in the last four years that a Jimmy Butler-led Heat team will meet Boston in the conference finals. So, listen, you know, I, I think what Jimmy does not like about it is the inference that, you know, he just takes the regular season off. I mean, he didn't make the All-Star team this year basically because he wasn't interested in going to the All-Star game. What he's interested in doing is, uh, you know, winning games and, and trying to win his first NBA championship. That's the way he's wired. I think it's worked out extremely well for him and the Heat since they got together four years ago. They're like-minded. Butler's uh, passion to win, the Heat's passion and blueprint to win. It's been a good match, and he's been at his best in the playoffs. And, guys, that's where players and teams are ultimately judged. Nobody remembers what kind of regular season you had when you're a good team. They remember how well or how not well you did in the playoffs. Look how quickly it flipped for – Joel Embiid, shortly after winning his first MVP award, you know, he's being ridiculed and his coach fired, uh, you know, because they didn't advance past the second round. And when you think about three of the most successful recent coaches in the league have been fired for losing in the playoffs. Monty Williams with the Suns, Budenholzer with the Bucks, and today Doc Rivers with the 76ers. So if you don't believe that's where the real judgment comes, uh, we got further proof in the last week. So there's we occasionally go through the list of NBA coaches that we think have true clout within their organizations and with players. Eric Spolstra is on that short list. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, what's it like working around him, and how many similarities does he share with Pat Riley? You know, they are similar in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think Eric Spolstra is the updated version of of what Pat Riley would be like if, if he was that age. Um, you know, it's funny that what makes the great ones great 
lots of qualities. One of the things with, with Pat Riley is that vision and that, that imagination to think ahead of it. Um, you know, he saw 2010, the class of free agency with LeBron and Wade and Bosch. He saw that coming two years out. Now, um, others saw it too, but he put his roster, uh, he put Eric Spolstra in place two years before that, gave him Dwayne Wade, Udonis Haslam, and a bunch of guys on one-year deals so there'd be enough cap room to make 2010 a reality. Um, he also had the vision to know that Eric Spolstra, who was a video coordinator when Pat Riley first got here uh, in, you know, in 95, 96, and Spo has quickly risen up the ranks um, from video coordinator to assistant coach uh, for both Pat and Stan Van Gundy to one of the most intense, real, hardworking growth mindset, um, a guy that gives players and coaches around him confidence and a green light to do what they do best. And, and Spo is all about that. Um, he's never let success change him. I think success has just made him hungrier to, to live up to what he wants to be. And that's a championship head coach. And, you know, he's done it twice. Um, he's been named top 15 coach in NBA history. Doesn't affect him. Um, the same guy in many ways and, and a better coach than he's ever been because of his growth mindset, not only for each team that he coaches, but for himself, every offseason, he, he he generally picks out a handful of coaches to go visit with. Sometimes they're football coaches. Uh, sometimes they're successful in other things. But he's always looking how he can expand how he thinks, how he views the game, how he coaches his teams. But, you know, he's not afraid. Listen, you can't be afraid to confront your best player. And too often that that word confront or confrontation is uh, taken as a negative no you got to coach one through 15 it can't be three through 15 and let your best your top one or two or three players you know get away with anything it's all on tape and when you sit in a film session uh if you don't coach one through 15 you're going to lose part of your locker room really quickly so spo knows how to coach the 15th guy he also knows how to coach the, the lebrons and the wades and the jimmy butlers of the world and it's all about winning in miami it's a culture built for, you know, one of the, listen, there's two main, two of the main concepts, that, that term heat culture. It makes a lot of people around the league cringe. It makes those of us here in South Florida proud because it's a culture built on two basic things. Number one is being in the best physical condition you can be in to get the best version of yourself. And number two, that, that team concept, Spo mentions it over and over again. If it was on the 10 commandments of the heat culture, you know, it would be up there. Can you enjoy your teammate's success? And if you answer yes and you live yes, then you could fit into the Miami Heat if you're willing to work and get in great shape and be all about winning. And, you know, like so often winning is not the main thing. In Miami, it is. It, you know, Pat Riley always says, let's keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing in the NBA is winning games and, and trying to compete and win championships. And, and Spo is all about that. Eric, final 30 seconds. Eric reads the voice of the Miami Heat for their television network. No one's giving Miami a chance. I know that's par for the course here, but whenever I hear about Boston, I hear the other, they're, they're the favorite to win the championship, not just win this series. 30 seconds or less for me. How does Miami do it? Same way they beat Milwaukee, same way they beat New York. Find a way. In the Bucs series, everybody thought that was impossible. They, they were the favorite. I mean, they had 58 wins, number one seed in the whole thing. 
Miami beat them in, in five games, beat them twice at home, beat them uh, in their place, beat them averaging 124 a game. The Knicks series, it was like going back in time, those old Heat Knicks series, beat them with defense and rebounding, beat New York at their own game. Miami is respectful of the team they're about to face. They know how good the Celtics are. There is no fear. Miami is ready to parachute into Boston. Listen, the recipe so far, win game one, then win both at home in games three and four, and you go from there. We'll see what happens in game one. Listen, we know they're, they are des- deserving and worthy overachievers and underdogs. If the Celtics are going to beat Miami, they're going to earn it. They're going to earn their way to the finals if that's the case. I'll do it with playoff Jimmy for sure. Eric, thank you so much for the time, man. We, we truly appreciate it. We'll catch up with you down the road. Thank you, man. Yeah, check out the, the Heat and the Celtics. And, hey, by the way, check out uh, Tommy Lauren is Fearless coming up on Thursday. 6 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock Eastern is where you can find the uh, great interview that will be uh, taking place between her and Matt Ariza, the punt god, who was on the Bills roster for a couple of months after the NFL draft. And then once everything surfaced of allegations of gang rape at San Diego State, he was released. Well, since then, he's been cleared of rape accusations. And he's going on Tommy to talk about it. That'll be coming up Thursday, 7 o'clock, right here on the Outkick Network. When we come back... The NFL schedule shows the value of quarterback, and there's another head coach who's out, Doc Rivers, the latest to get fired in the NBA.